from Gimlet. You're listening to Startup. And we're going to start the program here. What is this? On the couch in front of the TV. Is this, is this the Grammys? Yes, this is the Grammys. Is that Rihanna? That's Rihanna. And Paul McCartney and Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> it was a late Sunday night. My wife Nazneen and I had gathered on the couch to have a conversation. An important conversation that required our full attention. I'm going to mute that. Okay. Mm. So, do you know why we're talking? Mm, um, no. It's the last episode of season one of oh, Startup. Right. Yes, I knew that. Perhaps, listeners, you did not know that. There are some things I tell my wife that I don't tell you. I'm sorry. But it is true. This is the last episode of season one of Startup. After this episode, there will not be regular Startup episodes released until season two, which comes out in April. It's a couple months away. And the reason we're bringing this season to a close, we started this season with a couple questions. Can we start a company? Check. Will people invest in that company? Check. Will that company do what it says it will do? Create new shows and find listeners? Check. So we answered a lot of the questions that we started with. Now seems like a good time to close this chapter of the story. The plan is to come back in season two with some changes. We will still bring you occasional episodes about what's going on here at Gimlet, but we'll be focusing our attention on a company other than our own. More about the process of choosing that company and what that company is in the second half of the show. But for now... The close of season one does seem like a good moment for my wife and I to check in about where we've been and where we're headed. Check-in we did on the couch with the Grammys on mute. And we started with the dominant question in our lives at the moment. Why has our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter stopped sleeping at night? She is trying to kill us. She's (laughs) trying to kill us. I don't know what we've done to anger her. (laughs) Because it's a horrible thing. It's like she gets up and, like... This is one of those things where, like, in the old days, if she'd gotten up, I would, you know, whatever, one of us would put her back into her bed, and then I would go back to sleep. But now it's like this it's like this horrible cycle where, like, she gets up, and then it's, like, 3.30 in the morning, and then I can't get back to sleep because I'm, like, thinking about, like, oh, what about this and what about that? And, like... Yeah, no, there are so many mornings now where I wake up and you're, you're not there because you're awake, like, at 5 in the morning madly typing something downstairs (laughs) (laughs) that never used to happen that's prince Prince. god that man does not age (laughs) yeah how you feel about the whole project so far um it's been really exciting to see you do it you know and like to see you go from nothing just having an idea and being frustrated that no one else was doing it like for a really long time like I felt like you were frustrated that no one else had done this right and um it's been really yeah exciting to see you do it but like having said that do I like wish our lives were the way they were before you started the company yes (laughs) Really? <laughs> well, not, re- I mean, not really. Like, I feel like this is what you should be doing. So right. it's not like I want you to be not doing this thing that I think you should be doing, but just like the day to day life. Mm-hmm. 
that we used to have, like, was easier, yeah, for me. How is it easier? You just had a job, you know? Look at Taylor Swift. You were just um, mentally, like, you're just, you're just really uh, preoccupied, you know? And I'm used to, I was like used to you being that way when you were working on a big story or big project for like a couple of months at a time or something, but you're just, this is it. Like this is just an, an, an endless big project. Do you think our marriage will survive? <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Longer pause than I was expecting. Um, do I think our marriage will survive? Well, I feel like we have really yes. much longer. Really, it's <laughs> yes. gone. It's gone alarmingly longer than I was expecting. Yes, I think our marriage will survive. It's rough, though. It is so rough, but it's. I don't think we'll look back on this time, this like particular time, and be like, "Man, being married at that time." was our top priority or really awesome <laughs> you know <laughs> but um i think our marriage will absolutely survive okay hey what's up hey how's it going um it's going well one other person though that i thought i should check in with the other person who made his first appearance in episode one big-time silicon valley investor chris saka Regular listeners will remember that episode one of Startup began with me pitching Chris disastrously the idea of this company. If I were calling an Uber right now and it said, it's going to be here in two minutes, and that was all the time you had, uh-huh. what are you doing? So I'm making a network of digital podcasts uh, that we will monitor, that, that, will, that, will, that is going to meet. <laughs> Sorry. But then in episode six, he and his partner, Matt, decided to invest, which I told my co-founder, Matt Libra, about over the phone. I just got off the phone with Matt and Matt, you know. Right. Uh, and uh, and I'm in. They're in? <laughs> That's awesome. And having Chris Saka as an investor, it has been awesome. But also, if I'm honest, a little stressful. Because all of a sudden, Chris and I are in this brand new relationship. A relationship unlike any I've ever had before. Chris is no longer a guy whose money I want. He's now a guy whose money I have. And he has opinions about how I'm handling it. Opinions that from time to time he emails me. He didn't like the name we chose, for example. He emailed about it. After episode 12, which was the burnout episode, he was worried that we had created a bad workplace culture. He emailed about that. And more than any of our other investors, he wants much more regular updates on how the business is going. And my emotional response to receiving these emails is surprisingly fraught. Chris doesn't have any actual control over the company. That's pretty common at this stage of investing. But still, his opinion looms so large. He has such power over my mood. It seems crazy to admit this, but I really want him to think I'm doing a good job. And I've never actually asked him about it until now. Like, so the first time you and I talked was in, I guess, June of 2014. So it's about, it's now, it's now February of 2015. So it's been seven months. 
that we've known each other. Um, uh, you know, like where we are right now, so we're at the end of season one, we're launching season two, we've got another show up, Reply All. It looks like we're going to, we've, we've booked, I think, already almost a million dollars in revenue for this year. Um, and, you know, we've got this little office in Brooklyn and we've got 12 employees. Are, I don't know, how, how are you feeling about your investment so far? Sorry, you can edit this dramatically long pause, right? Uh, <laughs> are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep that pause. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I don't have enough information yet. Uh huh. Look, my, my biggest concern isn't with, you know, the stats sound great, et cetera, but yeah. I get these kind of half-assed email updates from you with, right. with, that are basically trumpeting the few things that are going right. I, apart from that, the only updates I get are from the episodes. And so right. that's, that's the challenge for me and for, I think, some of your most active investors. Right. Is, right. like, oh, yeah, you did acquire a new show. And, um, and I see them both doing relatively well in the rankings. And I hear advertisers on every show, so I assume you have no shortage of advertisers. And right. That's it. But you know, then you hear an episode where, like, there's... You know, there's brewing mutiny among the staff because everyone's so overworked. They're like, shit. Like, I'm sorry. It's funny. I wonder, because I feel like part of it, and I'm just being more honest. So part of, I think, what, what I'm doing here, just so you know, is like channeling, I think, the, the hidden feelings that a lot of startup people go through. Yep. Th- there was a shift, honestly, where where like... It was really exciting. Like, I couldn't believe you were on board. It was really exciting. And I was like, holy shit, this is all happening. And and then and then I got, I can't remember, I even got, I got an email from you early on, right when we were up and running. And you were, it was something about, like, uh, a web presence or something like that. Um, and I really had this feeling of, like, oh, shit. Because it was like, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, like, like, oh, no, I'm going to, like, I, I have a, like, how am I going to say this? Honestly, and I'm just telling you this as, like, it was a feeling of, like, off my back for a second while I fi- figure this out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure, but part of that is still, but part of that is still, like, hey, look, I'm heads down. These are the things I'm working on. Give me some room, right? And, right. And part of that is the investor being included, informed, relied upon for aspects of it. Basically, he's saying, I don't want to micromanage you about the things that you know better than me, making audio stories. But there is lots of stuff that I, Chris Saka, know about too, about how to grow a company. And I want to be included in those discussions. For example, in the episode where my co-founder Matt and I go over our finances, we found out that we were ahead of projections and we talked with excitement about becoming profitable. Chris didn't like that episode. You know, I'm listening to you talk on the radio about you know, how soon you're going to be cash flow positive. That's usually a bad move for an early stage company right. to get cash flow positive. I have strong opinions about that. Everyone mm-hmm. I know who's pushed for cash flow positivity that early stops growing at the rate they should be growing and gets so anchored by this idea of, well, we need to keep making money right. that they no longer feel the freedom to take the chances and spend the money they need to be the size they need to be 
that's it. Like you're, you're not trying to build a little profitable lifestyle business. You're trying to build a huge scale media company, which means you're going to likely lose money for a long time. Right. What, what exactly is a lifestyle business? Lifestyle business is a business that is likely not growing or it's growing at a really modest clip. Uh, and it's making money such that the people working there are living comfortably. They're drawing reasonable salaries for their time. Uh, the pace is reasonable enough that they actually get to go on vacation. A lifestyle business looks pretty good to a lot of people. Yeah, um, except, except when you're using my money. <laughs> uh, see, this is, why, this is why I'm stressed out talking to you. you. You have now said, you know what, instead of just taking some money out of savings and build a little podcast show and hiring a sales guy to, uh, to, you know, to go ahead and sell some ads and like, hey, look, Christmas bonus. Uh, instead, um, you have definitely signed up for the you know, media empire building quest here. You are, mm-hmm. I mean, you're Rupert Murdoch, man. You're going to need a 187-foot yacht before you're satisfied. <laughs> Chris, you can probably tell, doesn't actually believe that about me. And I don't believe that about myself. But how much exactly am I like Rupert Murdoch? That is a central tension that underlies this entire conversation. I do want to build a big company. But big for me and big for Chris Saka are different things. Big for me is, well, frankly, I already feel big. A $10 million valuation, 12 employees, that's bigger than anything I've ever done to this point. And obviously, I don't want to stop here. I want to keep growing. But the point is... Chris isn't comparing me to stuff I've done in the past, public radio stuff. He's comparing me to other companies he's invested in. Companies like Twitter and Uber, which is worth around $40 billion and counting right now. In fact, Uber and its founder, Travis Kalanick, they come up a lot in conversations between me and Chris. Uber next year is going to be two to three to four times bigger than Uber this year. Uber's, uh, the CEO just said Uber is growing five to six X a year in London, for instance, mm-hmm. the biggest cities in the world. And so that's why investors are all clamoring to try and invest in Uber at $40 billion. When you look at, like, you know both of, you know the founder of Uber well, and uh, you know me sort of well. Uh, now, you know, we've known each other now for seven months. How, how are we different? Like, what are, how are we different? Here, here's the difference between you two. A few years ago, Uber was barely started. Travis is at my house up in the mountains over the holidays, um, hanging out with me and my family. And he's palling around with my dad. And my dad says, hey, let's play a game of Wii tennis, Nintendo Wii. And um, my dad had a Wii at home, considered himself a pretty good tennis player. He's like mildly um, you know, athletic. He's playing little local tennis tournaments. And so Travis is like, all right. Travis is barely awake yet. And they sit there and they start playing this Wii tennis game. And my dad is getting just abused. He's losing handily to Travis. And Travis is barely moving. He's barely breaking his arm. And my dad's like taking tennis swings. And so he's just exhausted by this. And Travis is like in full Princess Bride style. He said, I, I'm sorry, I gotta confess and play with my opposite hand. And so he switches the controller to his other hand. They start the match again, and my dad doesn't score a single point. He is absolutely swinging away, and he gets no points in, and half of Travis's serves are just aces. 
And so my dad is just completely dejected. And so this grin comes over Travis's face and he's like, hey, Mr. Saka, I've got something to confess. And he starts thumbing over on the controller to like the settings page on the Wii and to where they have the global high score list. And he says, I'm actually um, tied for second in the global rankings in Wii Tennis. He was the second best player in the world in Wii Tennis. I don't know what the day was when Travis decided he wanted to become one of the best Wii Tennis players in the world while founding what's gone and become the biggest transportation company in history, et cetera, et cetera. But it was in that moment that I saw his true obsession with obtaining a goal. Like once he sets something out as a goal for himself, mm -hmm. he will absolutely accomplish it at probably any cost. And that to me is an example of something that I haven't quite picked up on in you yet. Not quite, no. <laughs> so how, I mean, and, and let's be honest, like that's, I don't have that. Like there's no question. Right. Like, I don't want to even beat around the bush here. Like there's not, I am not, um, I am many things obsessively driven to achieve a single minded goal is not one of them. And like, and given that, is that, how much do you need that? I guess is my question. When you talk about, um, but ambition and drive and hustle and, and single mindedness and obsession, um, the reality is like, as I look at our portfolio, I don't have any founders or, or CEOs who I would consider to be normal people in any way. They're all weird. There's, there's something very different about all of them. All of them have seen a problem that needed solving that most people probably didn't notice or took for granted. And all of them had the confidence to take the harder path, to eschew all the easy stuff that they could have had otherwise, and take the hard way to fixing it. The likelihood is that your startup is going to fail. If you statistically, if you take it by statistical average likelihood of all startups, yours is probably gonna fail. And so as a result, it, it takes a different kind of person to be willing to walk away from your cushy public radio job without a ton of money in the bank and undertake a journey like this when the most likely outcome is you end up on your ass. So, so I, thought you, I thought this was going, I thought you were not going to include me in that weird category, but you're including me. You're thinking, you're, I'm one of the weird ones. You're one of the weird ones. All right. It takes it takes weird people to get this started, but <laughs> All right. but how weird are you? Yeah. How weird indeed. Travis Kalanick weird? Chris told me that Travis almost never travels anywhere with more than a half-filled backpack, and that usually he stays in hostels, even though he's the head of a forty billion dollar company. He is a man on a mission. I, on the other hand, travel with a full suitcase and toddler seats and carry-ons full of sippy cups and board books. I stay in family suites and chain hotels with indoor pools. 
And absolutely no offense to Chris Saka, but if I did find myself alone at his house over the holidays playing video games with his father, it would mean something has gone horribly wrong in my life. All this to say, I'm with Chris Saka and that I want something more than a lifestyle business. But I do have a lifestyle, or as my wife would call it, a wife and a family that I love more than I will ever love my business. What do you think is going to happen? I have no idea. I really don't know. I don't feel like anything's like, I know season one of Startup is is ending, but like, it just feels like we're just like, we're in it and we're just going to be in it for a long time. <laughs> right? Yes, that is really exactly what it feels like. It feels like it is like, just the very very beginning yeah yeah it feels like the beginning which is crazy but yeah coming up there are other startups out there we talked to a lot of them including the founders of the company we'll be following in season two of startup it is all coming up after this word from our sponsors One of the great things about doing this podcast is the overwhelming amount of feedback we've gotten from listeners, many of whom are founders and entrepreneurs themselves. And it has become clear to us that the drama and emotion and tension that we are experiencing here at Gimlet is far from unique, that there are lots of other good stories out there in startup land. And more intense stories, frankly. People have had way bigger heartbreaks and way bigger successes than we have had so far. So we thought, let's expand our sample from just our one company, and dive into this crazy world. And so it brings me great pleasure to welcome my co-host, Lisa Chow. Hi, Alex. Listeners first met you in episode 12 uh, when you documented our own company. (laughs) (laughs) The burnout episode. The burnout episode, right. And you've been scouring the globe, talking to different startups about the journey that they're on. And by globe, I mean mainly the greater New York metropolitan area. Yes, I have. I set out looking for a totally different company than ours, and I talked to a lot of them. One was trying to become the Uber of trucking. There was a food delivery service company, a secondary market ticket company, and this company called Kinsa, which manufactures a smart thermometer that connects to your phone. And here's a pretty common experience I had. This is Inder Singh, the founder of Kinsa, the thermometer company, introducing me to his team. So, uh, we have a special guest um, uh, today, as you guys know. Um, uh, we are going to be uh, being recorded. So when you do your all-teams meeting, all-team reports, I'm relying on you to ensure that we don't disclose anything uh, excessively confidential. Um, and generally, please try to stay away from specific numbers that would be um, concerning <laughs> um, to sort of leak publicly. And obviously, this is something that we figured people would be concerned about, right? Companies are loath to reveal proprietary information that their competitors could take advantage of. There's the proprietary stuff, and of course there's the personal stuff too. Letting journalists into your company to record your highs and lows is pretty scary. Eli Goodman works with Corey Hardy at a company called Little Borrow Dress, which rents bridesmaids' dresses. It's funny that you guys are coming in like right now, because Corey and I just had like a very intense conversation. (laughs) And my my concern is so self-centered. 
But it's like, you know, we had this conversation, Corey and I were having some like intense points and I came back to my desk and I was like, wow, I was being really dumb about that whole thing. Like, what was I talking about? And I was like, oh yeah, Corey was right. And I, I, my worry is like, if that was recorded for posterity, everyone would hear how stupid I was being. <laughs> you know what I mean? And be like, well, that Eli guy, he's totally intransigent about everything. Like, he's so stubborn. I mean, I totally relate to this feeling. Like, every podcast that we have released, I've had that feeling. Am I making myself seem stupid or like a jerk or have I said something that's going to get us into trouble somehow? And at least with you, Alex, you actually had control over the editing process. (laughs) (laughs) These companies wouldn't have that luxury. And on top of that, these companies we were talking to had a lot more to lose. When you started recording your story, Alex, you didn't have a name for your company. All these companies we're talking about profiling are further along in their startup process. They've already negotiated the equity split between founders. Some have successfully raised money. Yeah, and that's by design, that we want to do something new for season two. We had already followed a very initial startup company, ours, where we were just basically going from idea to actual company. But the drama doesn't end there, and we wanted to follow a company that was facing a different challenge, a different inflection point. And we spent a lot of time running around offices with microphones, sitting in on investor meetings, recording conversations between partners, talking to staff. And we captured some pretty intense moments. So, um, how are, how are you feeling? Um, like, right now? Right now? Yeah, right now. Frustrated. That's Alex Kiss the founder of Vinny, a company that's trying to bring price transparency to the used car market. Alex has been working on an app for more than two years, living off his savings, credit cards. He's been aggressively trying to fundraise. He spent several weeks going back and forth with one group of investors, and he felt he was finally there. Uh, The last conversation was on terms, and we were very close, I think. Um, maybe a half a percent off, and we eventually agreed that on the phone. That was uh, a Friday. Uh, I was told the Monday it would be wired in the account. We had made... How much? um, That was going to be a million. And uh, Monday rolls around, never heard anything, and then Tuesday afternoon I get a a three-sentence email basically saying, thanks for the opportunity, but we're going to pass. And that's it. I mean, to the point where... I thought it went to the wrong person. I mean, I just, like, nearly fell out of my chair. Um, I just stared at my screen thinking, how is this even possible? I mean, we have formed a relationship with these guys. and um, You think you're there, and then it just literally falls out. Like, literally, it just falls out beneath you. But not all the challenges were around money. Kinsa, the thermometer company, had a relatively easy time fundraising. So his struggle, similar to many startup founders, has been more actually about balancing work and family. Inder got married last summer, and he had been hounding his wife, Nita, to join the company pretty much from the day they met. Finally, after months of debating, Nita decided to join her husband's company. He works all the time, and I think any startup spouse can relate to that. You know, they work all the time, and I would say that, or I'd like to think of you know, I'm number one in his life, but then Kinsa is very, very close number two, if not tied for number one. And so I knew that he's doing it no matter what. So if I'm not a part of it, it's still going to consume him. And if I'm here, maybe I can actually help him with some of the things that he's stressed about. Or, you know, if he's up at one o'clock in the morning working on something or stressing out over something, if I wasn't joining, I wouldn't really be able to understand and relate and, and help him through that. 
but now that I'm here, I can. Now, on the flip side, it's there's that challenge of will we ever stop working? Are we always going to be working? I know the second or third day that I was officially employed at Kinsa, it was... She's been here for one week, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just one week. So It's only been one week, and it was the second or third day, and 11.30 at night, he's like, hey, so I, uh, I sent you an email, and I just, can you respond back to me when you get a chance? And I just threw up my hands, like, look, 11.30 at night, no. So I think um, one thing I'm finding is we're going to have to draw some lines in the sand and say, okay, you know, 10 p.m. at night, we stop talking about work. So it's been an interesting couple of months peeking under the hood of all these different companies and finding out how much we have in common with them and also how different we are in some ways. Finally, we settled on one company to follow that seemed compelling for a lot of reasons. The founding team is unusual. There are two women. Lauren, at 25, already a seasoned entrepreneur, started her first company out of her dorm room in college. And then there's her partner, Emma, who didn't finish college. They're also different from us in other ways. They're an online dating company. And online dating is this big and very crowded space with lots of incumbents. There's Match.com, OkCupid, Tinder. And yet online dating is this process that most people don't seem very happy with. So there's lots of room for improvement. They're also at an interesting place in their development as a company. They've been running their company now for a year and a half, and they're bringing in revenue. They have a bunch of users. But... They're also in this position that lots of startups find themselves in where they're not growing super fast. So it's not exactly failure, but it's not breakout success either. It's just a long slog. And sometimes in dark moments, that slog can wear on them. Here's Emma. So it's almost 11 o'clock at night and I just got home from work, which, you know, I think is a very typical startup thing. Um... You know, founders work 100 hours a week. This is your baby. This is your life. You work 24-7. That's what's expected. And I get that. I do. And and that's what we did for the first year. Um, but my oldest sister died about six years ago when she was 38. And she was a midwife. And she didn't have kids, and she wasn't married. And when she got sick, um, I remember taking a walk on, on the beach with her. And she walked by herself, and she picked up all of these shells, and she came back, and she said, this shell is for the kids I'm going to have when I get better. And this shell is for the wedding I'm going to have when I get better. And and all these things she was going to do with her life that she hadn't gotten the chance to do. And, and I'm not saying it's because of her career or because of anything except that, you know, life doesn't work out the way you want it to. I don't know. Things like, like that put things into perspective for you in a different way and prioritize things. And, and God, I just, I don't want to look back and say, oh, I spent the last three years of my life in my office. And then I wonder, you know, what business do I have being a startup founder if I, if I am not willing to commit the lifestyle? Then I can step down, you know? I don't have to be COO. I can just be a founder. Um... But I don't know, it seems like that'd be so hard to, to, you know, relinquish control or, 
or watch someone else make these decisions about something I've put so much of myself into. Obviously, I can relate to a lot of what she's saying. And I think other people out there can as well. Starting a company, a good part of the struggle is internal. So we're going to be following Emma and Lauren for a good chunk of season two. There's lots to their story, including a peek inside the Hogwarts Academy of the Startup World, Y Combinator, and a deep dive into the strange arena that is online dating. There will be interviews with some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world. And, of course, two young founders trying to defy the odds that are stacked against everyone who's trying to start a company. And as we said, we will also continue to bring you dispatches from inside Gimlet as well. There's much more to come in our story as we grow and try and navigate the new world we find ourselves in, the world of real companies. That's all coming in April right here in this very podcast feed. To make sure you don't miss the start of this amazing season two, sign up for our email newsletter. You do that by going to our website, gimletmedia.com slash startup. There's a little email subscription button right there at the top. Just sign up. You won't miss a thing. We will have scenes from the next season of Startup right after these words from our sponsor. On the next episode of Startup, Emma, one of the founders of the company we'll be following, talks about how she discovered she had a knack for matching people. I would make notes like, ah, this person wears like a lot of J. Crew and statement necklaces and has a really nice manicure. Um, and I would ask her, you know, what, what, what do you look for in a match? And she'd tell me, and I would ignore that information, and I'd just match her based on the physical observations I made about how she was dressed. And I found that those matches were way more successful than two people saying, well, I look for someone who has a sense of humor. Right. Right, because that doesn't tell you anything. And everyone thinks it does, but it doesn't. Um, but what you're wearing tells me a lot. More secrets from the multi-billion dollar online dating industry on the next episode of Startup. To subscribe to the podcast, go to iTunes.com slash Gimlet Media. And while you're there, give us a review. It's good feedback for us and it helps us up the charts. Today's episode was edited by you, Lisa Chow. Also the incomparable Zoe Chase and Caitlin Roberts, who also produced our show. To find out more about the show, go to GimletMedia.com. While you're there, you can join Gimlet as a member. As we said at the top of the show, this gets you, among other things, access to t-shirts from your favorite Gimlet show and an early look at new shows that we are piloting. Go to GimletMedia.com and click Become a Member. <laughs>